You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Uh, Today, in honor of the ladies, I want to look at the life of one of my favorite characters in the Bible, a great woman of faith in the Old Testament, and her name was Hannah. Now, Hannah's name means grace or favor, but Hannah had a very difficult life. She was actually a woman who walked through brokenness. She experienced a lot of pain and suffering, but through prayer, she changed her life. Through faith, she changed her life. And we're going to look at her story today in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. Now, 1 Samuel tells the story of how God established kingship for the people of Israel. It's basically the story of King David. King David, who's the most famous king in all of the history of Israel. King David, who wrote many of the Psalms. And so it's basically his story. And what we're going to see is that Hannah had a very important role to play in God's unfolding story for his people. And we're going to learn some valuable lessons this morning, church, about how to overcome the pain of unmet expectations. Come on, I wonder if there's anybody in the house this morning who's ever experienced some unmet expectations about life. (laughs) I wonder if there's any of you right now, you're in a season of life where there's been some unmet expectations. You thought you'd be at a different place by now. You thought things would be different. Life hasn't exactly handed you what you thought it was going to give you. I want to encourage you today. We're going, to, we're going to learn some valuable lessons from the life of this great woman of faith about how to push through, how to overcome unmet expectations. So we're going to dive right into it. Are you ready? Here we go. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Here's what Scripture says. There was a certain man from the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Elkanah. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Panina. And you thought your marriage was complicated. Hello. <laughs> Panina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Verse 4, whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Panina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Look at verse 6, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? So what an interesting story. Here's Hannah. She's married to this Hebrew man named Elkanah who had another wife named Panina. Guys, did you follow that? He had two birthdays, two anniversaries, two anniversaries, two honey-do lists. I mean, most of us, one wife is all the blessing we can handle. (laughs) Now, all jokes aside, okay, obviously polygamy was not God's ideal in Scripture. We see that God created Adam and Eve, right? Uh, It wasn't God's ideal plan, but it was permitted in Old Testament times, especially, it was especially considered acceptable uh, in the case where a man's wife was barren. Now, some people will say, one of the problems I have with the Bible is is that you Christians, you don't practice polygamy now, but in the Old Testament, people could have multiple wives. 
But here's what we see. There is nowhere in Scripture where this is presented as the ideal situation. In fact, everywhere in Scripture, this situation is presented with brokenness. It's dysfunctional. It's bad. This is not something that Scripture holds up as an ideal, but it was part of an ancient culture. Verse 3 tells us that every year, Elkanah and his family went up to Shiloh in order to sacrifice and worship in the temple. This was the annual highlight of their year. This was like the annual trip to Disney World for some families. They were excited to go to the temple. Verse 5 tells us, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. Can you imagine the tension that that created? He had one wife who gave him babies. He had one wife that he gave a double portion to. I mean, this was like a reality show gone bad. These people needed some serious family therapy. The scripture says the Lord. Yeah, some of y'all like my family does too. The scripture says, but the Lord had closed Hannah's womb. Now, there's no explanation as to why. This is how ancient Hebrew people, ancient Jewish people would have understood barrenness. You see, in their culture, barrenness wasn't a medical condition. It was considered to be a curse. This was devastating for Hannah because an ancient society placed a huge value on women being able to bear children. Now, I know some of you might say, well, Pastor Jeremy, that's so chauvinist. That's so wrong. That's so old-fashioned. I know. Stop right there for a minute before I, I lose you, and let me explain to you why in an ancient culture this expectation would have been so strong and why this would have been so important. Let me give you a few reasons. Here's the first reason. Number one is just a plain old economic reason. The more children you had, the better you were off economically. The more children you had to work in the family business, the more children you had to to work in the fields, right, and and to help your family. There's a reason I had three boys. I'm not cutting all that grass by myself for the rest of my life. I'm just saying, okay? But there was an economic benefit. There was also a security benefit. The more children you had, the more likely you, you, uh, you were to have children to care for you in your old age. There was no social security back then. There there was no Medicare. Your your children were your social security plan. And if you're like me, you like to guilt trip your children, remind them we took good care of you growing up. You're going to take care of me one day. I'm just saying, parental guilt trip. The third reason that we see is a spiritual reason. For Jewish women in the Old Testament, they, they came to see childbearing as their way to fulfill God's covenant promise to his people. If you remember, in the book of Genesis chapter 15, when God made a covenant with Abraham, he promised to make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And every good Jewish woman saw childbearing as her way of helping God fulfill that promise. So this was so important and essential in an ancient culture. Now, it's very likely that Elkanah had married Hannah first, and she was his true love. But she was unable to have children, and so he had taken another wife who could. And as if it wasn't bad enough, she had to deal with her rival, Penina, who would ridicule her every year, who, who would gloat over her and make her feel like she wasn't enough because she wasn't able to have children like Penina. Can you imagine what Hannah's life was like? She was a broken woman. I mean, she lived a life of unmet expectations. I'm sure as a young woman, when Elkanah first married her husband, I mean, when Hannah first married her husband, Elkanah, she had dreams of what their life would be like. She pictured what their life would be like, a happy life together, having children together, raising a family together. All of these dreams were completely shattered by what life had given her. And I think like Hannah, sometimes we find ourselves in a place of brokenness due to unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. Now, unmet expectations, they come in a lot of different forms. 
They come into our lives in so many different ways. First of all, they're the unmet expectations of, of others. Maybe it's the, the cultural expectations of how much money you should make and what you should look like. Come on, Mother's Day, ladies, the unrealistic expectations of what your body should look like, right? There's all kind of unrealistic expectations in, in this culture. Some of you, it, it's, the, it's the, un, uh, the unmet expectations that maybe your parents had for you, the pressure that family and friends ha- have put on you. And then every culture has Paninas. Every culture has haters. Come on, people who make you feel like you're, you're less than, that you're not enough, the voices of criticism and ridicule. Some of you, if you were Hannah, you would have dealt with Panina in a different way. Come on, you would have got all ghetto on Panina and got up in her face. The story would read a little bit different if you were Hannah. <laughs> and then there are the, the unmet expectations that we put on ourselves. Come on, if we're honest with ourselves, in many ways, we can't even live up to our own expectations for ourselves. Many of, us, many of us live with a sense of, I, I thought I'd be further along in life by now. You know, I, I, I thought I'd be further in my career by now. I thought I'd be out of debt by now. I, I thought I'd be in a better place in my, my finances. I thought I would have met that special someone to spend the rest of my life with by now. We, we can't even live up to, to our own expectations for ourselves. And then, if we're really honest, there are the unmet expectations that we have for God. When God hasn't done quite what we thought God would do in our lives, the unanswered prayers, the unfulfilled dreams. Hannah lived with all of these, the unmet expectations that her culture had for her, the unmet expectations of of her husband, the the voices of ridicule, her own expectations for herself, and I'm sure a sense of, why, God, have, have have you forgotten me? And the level of pain that we experience when it comes to unmet expectations is often determined by the size of the gap between what we had hoped for and what life actually gave us. How many of you know that's true? The bigger the expectation, the bigger the hope, and the the bigger the gap between what we thought we would get out of life, what we thought God would give us, and what we actually got out of life usually determines the level of pain, the size of our pain. And over time, the unmet expectations can pile up, and and the pain and the hurt can pile up so much so that we kind of get stuck. Ever been there before? Just felt stuck, stuck spiritually, stuck mentally, stuck emotionally, stuck in the pain of the past, stuck in your frustration, stuck in those why God moments. And so the question today, church, is how do we get unstuck? Isn't that that the question we want answered? How do we get unstuck? How How do we move forward? How do we take our lives back and move forward? Now, there are a lot of good ideas out there. There are some great ideas. You can go on YouTube and you can learn some new habits on how to be successful. You can get a self-help book. You can learn the power of positive thinking. You can stand up in the morning every day in the mirror and say, I'm good looking, I'm confident, and people like me. All those things are great. But as Christians, we believe that there's an all-knowing, all-powerful God working on our behalf. And so the question is, how do we access his help? How do we access his power? Come on, a power that's beyond ourselves. Here's the idea this morning, church. We overcome the pain of unmet expectations when we turn to the God who's able to exceed our greatest expectations. Come on, the scripture says he's able to do immeasurably more than all you could ask or imagine according to his power that's at work in you. Do you believe that? How would that change your life? How would that help you snap out of it and quit, and quit wallowing in your own pain and frustration and regrets and unmet expectations if we really believe that God is who we say he is? And so I want to look at the life of Hannah today. Come on, I want to encourage you today. I want us to look at the life of Hannah, and I want us to see how she responded to her situation. And I want to give you three keys to overcome the pain of unmet expectations and to help you move forward in life. 
Come on, I want you to get out your phones, take some notes today. Uh, you can open up the Redemption app. There's a spot on our app where you can take notes every week. Put some ideas down today because some of us are stuck. Some of us are wrestling with these things. Some of us have been weighed down spiritually, mentally, emotional, and we want to, to move forward with God's help today, okay? Are you ready? Here's the first one. Number one, we move forward in prayer. We move forward in prayer. Somebody say prayer. Come on, it's prayer. We move forward in prayer. Let's pick our story back up, verses 9 through 11. It says, once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. This is when the family was on their annual pilgrimage to Shiloh, to the temple. Now, Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorposts of the Lord's house. In deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. In other words, I will dedicate him as a priest in your service. So here's Hannah. She's, she's in anguish. She's crying out to God. And in verse 9 says, Hannah stood up. Everybody say, stood up. Hannah stood up. Like, this is, this is actually an ancient expression. Like, we read that and we just think Hannah stood up. No, no, no. This is an idiom. This would be like saying in, in English, Hannah put her foot down. We all know what that means, right? When someone puts their foot down, right? When you put your foot down, it's like enough is enough. I've had it. I've resolved. Like we get what she's saying here, right? She, she stands up. She puts her foot down. She's not going to stay in the same place of wallowing in her own self-pity and pain. She, she, in a sense, stands up. She puts her foot down and she takes charge of her life. And how does Hannah do it? It says she does it through prayer. She does it through prayer. She took her distress to the Lord. She didn't have a midlife crisis. She didn't leave her husband and, and her family and get cosmetic surgery and open a new dating profile and max out her credit cards. No, no, no. She took her distress to the Lord. She went to the temple, temple and she prayed. She cried out to God. And I know sometimes it feels like in life, I, I hear you, Pastor Jeremy, but, but I've got work to do, and I've got to figure this out, and I've got to hustle, and, and, and I've got to put some thought into this, and maybe I'll pray when I get to church one Sunday. That's nice, but what difference does prayer really make? I know it feels that way sometimes, but the wisdom of God, the wisdom of the Bible is often counterintuitive and countercultural. How many of you know that? Come on, the prevailing wisdom of our culture tells us you got to be strong. you got to be strong for yourself, for the people around you. The Bible tells us in our weakness, he is made strong. Come on, the prevailing wisdom of the culture says you got to hold it all together. You've got this. You're strong enough to do this. you got to hold it all together. But the wisdom of Scripture shows us that sometimes our breakthrough comes when we fall apart in the presence of God. It's counterintuitive. The, 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 the wisdom of the culture says that, that you have the power within you. Come on, look inside you. Look inside of yourself. You have everything you need on the inside of you to take control. But the counterintuitive wisdom of God's word says you take back your life by admitting you're not in control in the first place. But the good news is you serve a God who's in control. Come on, somebody. There's power in prayer. There's power in prayer. Can I just personally testify to this today and tell you that some of the greatest breakthrough moments of my life happened in prayer? Not with my best thoughts, not with me figuring it out, not with me being strong. 
Some of my, my greatest breakthrough moments of life, things that determine the kind of man I would become, where I would end up in life, the biggest decisions in life for me have come in moments of prayer. I'm telling you, you're sitting in the middle of an answered prayer right now. This vision, this dream to plant a church was birthed in, in prayer. There's power in prayer. Prayer is one of the ways you take your life back and you get moving forward into what God has for you. And so Hannah decided to tune out all of the other voices in her life, the voices of the haters in her life, and she tuned into the voice of God, and it changed her life. And I wonder if for some of you, there's just not too many voices in your life. Everybody else's opinion, everybody on social media's opinion, every self-help book you're reading. I, I think for many of us, we need to tune out some of the other voices and get still and get in God's presence and tune into the voice of God. Come on, sometimes, church, you got to have a stand-up moment, a stand-up moment where you take charge of your life through prayer. I'm not settling for this broken marriage. I'm not settling for this broken relationship. No, I'm going to stand up in prayer and contend for a breakthrough. Come on, I'm not settling for my health being in this condition. I choose to believe that you're the God who heals, and so I'm going to stand up in prayer and believe that you can heal me. Come on, I'm not settling for the same old broken patterns of self-destructive decisions and negative thinking. No, I'm going to stand up and contend in prayer and believe that you're the God who can set me free. You got to stand up. Come on, turn to somebody and say, you got to stand up. Preach. Help me preach today. Tell them. You got to stand up in prayer and get moving forward. Get moving forward. Okay, we're talking about what do we do? What do we do to get unstuck? What do we do when, when life doesn't give us what we expected, when we have unfulfilled dreams and hopes? I know in a room this size, I'm speaking to many of you, there are, there are dreams in your heart, there are goals, there are things that you long for, things that you've prayed for. And sometimes we get to a point where we just kind of have spiritual and emotional inertia. How do we get over the hump? Number two, we move forward in faith. Not only do we pray, not only do we stand up in prayer, but number two, we move forward in faith. So Hannah goes to the temple to pray, and she cries out to God. And she has an interesting encounter with, with Eli, the priest. Eli, the priest, sees her babbling and kind of crying out in prayer, and he thinks she's been drinking. He goes up to her, and he says, what are you doing in here? Like, you wicked, sinful woman getting drunk in the temple. She's like, I'm not drunk. I'm crying out to God. I'm praying. And look at what happens next in verse 17 and 18. It says, Eli answered, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Verse 18, she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something. Listen to this phrase. And her face was no longer downcast. Her face was no longer downcast. It's a peace that came over her life. I want to focus on that phrase for just a moment. Her face was no longer downcast. You see, Hannah had reached a turning point in life. She had come to this point where, where she was ready to let go of the pain. She wasn't going to let the pain define her anymore. She wasn't going to let the unmet expectations define her anymore. She wasn't going to let the voices of what other people thought she could be and should be define her anymore. She was going to move forward in faith, in faith, trusting in God. You see, the essence of faith, what does it mean to have faith? It's simply trusting in God. We make it so complicated sometimes. You know, we think faith is for the super spiritual. No, it's simply trusting in God. And the scripture says that, that the 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not, not by sight. That means sometimes when we can't see it, we still trust in God. We, we trust in, in who he is, not just what he can do, but who he is. How many of you have discovered that God doesn't always do everything you thought he would do on your timetable? Anybody with me? 
And so when he doesn't do those things, then we trust in who he is. God, I choose to believe that you're good. I choose to believe that you're a loving heavenly father who's working all things together for my good because I'm called according to your purpose. And so the scripture says we walk by faith, not by sight. God, I don't see how how you're going to show up in this situation, how this is going to work out. I don't see it, but I choose to trust in you. God, I don't see how I'm going to get a breakthrough here, but I choose to trust you. I don't know where the money's going to come from. I don't know where my healing's going to come from. I got this bad diagnosis from my doctor, but I choose to hold on to you and trust in you. That's the essence of faith. I don't see it, but I choose to believe it, right? Faith is the, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's what the book of Hebrews says. So we walk by faith, not by sight. You know, I was thinking about this. I, I, grew, up, uh, I grew up with a patch of woods between my house and, and our church. My dad was a pastor, and our, our church owned some undeveloped land, some, some woods between our house and the church that was just around the corner from, from my house. And so we grew up playing in the woods. I had three brothers, and it was awesome. We would play war, and we would put our camouflage on, and we'd smear our faces and get our toy guns, and, and we would ride our bikes. There was a path from my house to the, to the church, and man, I knew that path like the back of my hand, you know? But there was one time that we never went in the woods, and that was nighttime, because that's kind of scary for a little kid, right? Like you're afraid you might step on a snake or some scary person might come out of the woods and kidnap you or something like that, right? But the only memory I really have when I was a really little kid of, of walking in the woods was with my dad. I can remember walking the path from my house to the church in the dark with my dad a few times. I don't even remember what we were doing. And honestly, this was before cell phones. Like I don't remember if we even had flashlights. Maybe it was like walking on a on a moonlit night or something like that. But I remember not being afraid. Why? What made the difference? Because my dad was with me. I couldn't see what was in front of me, but I trusted my dad to protect me. Church, that's a picture of faith. God, I can't see what's in front of me, but I know you're with me and you're a loving heavenly father. Come on, even though I'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. That's a picture of faith. That's how faith works. And so I think we love the idea of having faith, right? As long as we can be completely in control and know how everything's going to turn out. This faith thing is wonderful. Yeah, faith is great as long as I get to be in control and determine how everything's going to turn out. Hello, that's not faith. (laughs) That is not faith. The story doesn't say, and God gave Hannah a son, and then her face was no longer downcast. Did it say that? The story didn't say, and God appeared to Hannah in the midst of her prayer like a genie in the bottle and said, I'm going to give you three wishes. And then Hannah went away and her face was no longer downcast. That's not what it says. No, no, no. We see that Hannah has peace before God answers her prayer. Why? Because she had resolved to trust God in her heart with the outcome before he ever did anything, before she ever knew how things were going to turn out. That's real faith. That's real faith. She had determined in her heart, whatever happens, God, I'm going to trust you. And I think so often we struggle to access the peace of God because we want to be in control of the outcome. We want to be in control of the outcome. I think some of you would say, Pastor, I've tried this whole faith thing. It hasn't really worked for me. Yeah, that's because you haven't given up control yet and you haven't learned to really trust in God, to believe what he can do and who he is. I'm telling you, there are some people in this place today, I, I know you've been walking through some struggles, you've been walking through some pain, you've been wrestling with, with, with some problems and you're exhausted because you say, Pastor Jeremy, I've tried everything. Can I just encourage you today? There's a peace that comes over your life. When you begin to trust God as a loving Heavenly Father, you just release your life to Him and say, God, I give it over to you. You're in control. 
Like, it's too much for me. It's too big for me. It's too exhausting for me. God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that you are a loving, heavenly Father, and I'm going to move forward in faith. Come on, that's how you get unstuck. Some of you, it's just been, you've been so weighed down. It's been so heavy, the stuff you're carrying. You're going to move forward in faith by trusting God. Here's the third thing. Come on, we're talking about how do we get unstuck? How do we move forward when, when life doesn't give us what we expected out of life? Number three, we move forward in surrender. Come on, everybody say surrender. We move forward in surrender. Here's what the story goes on to say, verse 19 and 20. It says, early the next morning they arose and worshiped before the Lord and went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. The name Samuel, literally in Hebrew, it sounds like the phrase heard of God. Come on. Hannah says, God, you finally heard my prayer. You remembered me. You saw the dream in in my heart, and you answered my prayer. You gave me a son. Can you imagine how this brought healing to her heart? Can you imagine how this changed her, her perspective? She was no longer living with the weight of unmet expectations and other people's opinion of her and the way her husband saw her. Like, man, her heart must have been full. But if you remember in verse 11, she had made a vow. She had prayed, God, if you give me a son, I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Now, what does this mean? Let's talk about what this means. Basically, she says, I'm going to dedicate my son as a priest, and he's going to live in the temple all the days of his life. This is what's called a Nazarite vow. In the Old Testament, we read about how uh, a Jewish person could make a Nazarite vow to basically become a voluntary priest. So the, the, the tribe of the Levites, were the, they were the priestly tribe. But a person could enter into this vow to become a Nazarite. It was basically consecrating themselves to the priesthood. And one of the things they had to do is they couldn't cut their hair. No razor would touch his head. They couldn't drink wine. They couldn't touch anything that would make them ceremonially unclean, like a dead body, something like that. They were consecrating themselves. Essentially, Hannah consecrates her son Samuel to the priesthood. God, if you give me this child, I'm going to give him back to you. And that's exactly what she does. Let's keep going. Look at verses 19 and 20. Then we're going to skip to verse 24 and 28 through 28. It says, after he was weaned, after Samuel was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, They brought the boy to Eli and said to him, pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I and the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. Wow. Think about Hannah's sacrifice for three years She had cared for this child. Scholars tell us that in the ancient Near East, women often nursed their children for three years. Likely for three years, she had nursed this child, this baby. She had bonded with him. She had cared for him. And now she was about to give her only child away. I mean, it's just hard to even imagine, right? Especially on a day like today where we've dedicated these beautiful babies. Hannah wasn't going to to get to, to realize or enjoy any of the benefits of having a son. 
all the things we talked about before. She would never enjoy the, the economic benefit of having a son who would learn his father's trade and work in the family business and expand their fortunes. She was never going to enjoy the security benefit of having a, a son in her old age who would look after her and, and, and care for her. She would never get to enjoy her status as a mother to, to walk in public, to go to the marketplace and be seen with her son, not to mention that she would never enjoy the affection of her child, of her son, his kisses, his hugs, those tender moments, those, those memories. She was giving all of those things away. And so what is this all about? Like, what was Hannah's vow all about? Why would she do this? Why would she cry out and ask God for this one thing only to give her dream away? I'll tell you what this is about. This is about surrender. Surrender. The definition of the word surrender is to yield power, to give up control. And let me just encourage you today, surrender is a form of worship. Surrender is a form of worship. In essence, when Hannah made her vow to God, she was saying, Lord, I've always wanted a child for, for myself, but now I want a child for you. I, I, I still want a child, but if you give me a child, I'll give him to you. I'm redirecting my desire toward you. It, it's not about me. It's not about me having this child to validate me. It's not about me having this child so my husband will see me different, so my, my culture, the people around me, the society that I live in will see me differently. God, this, this desire, it's no longer for me. It's for you. I'm surrendering it to you. Do you see it? See, surrender is about giving up control of your life. Surrender transforms your expectations for your life because your expectations are no longer about you. This, is, this will set you free. This will get you moving forward because expectations are wonderful when you're living up to them, aren't they? Expectations are great when you're killing it in your career. When you're making more money this year than you made last year, when your health is in a good place, when people look at you and envy you and want your life, expectations are wonderful when you've got it going on, but they're not so great when you can't live up to them. Surrender will transform your expectations because it'll redirect your desires and say, God, it's not about me. My dreams, my desires, my longings, my hopes, they're not just about me. They're for you. Everything I have is for you, and so I give everything I back in my life back to you for your glory. My life is not for myself. Surrender redirects your desires. It redirects, redirects your, your, your goals. It redirects your ego. It redirects your, your, your longings. And so maybe here in this place, maybe you're really successful in your career. Maybe you're a business person and God has blessed you and given you the ability to do well in the marketplace. Surrender recognizes God all of these gifts that I have, every, everything you've given, it's not just for me. God, you gave me that gift so that I could, I could further your kingdom in the marketplace. Come on, moms, today. Moms, you're, you're raising some kids. Maybe, maybe today, you know, I, I want you to know this. It's, it's not just about you raising kids to, to grow up and get into a really good college and be successful so your friends can be impressed by you. No, no, God gave you those kids so that you could put the kingdom of God in their hearts so that they could be raised to make a difference in this world for God, for his kingdom. That's what surrender does. Surrender recognizes God, everything I have, my, my talents, my abilities, my resources, the gift you've placed on the inside of my life. Everybody's got a gift. We all have something. God, it's not just about me. It's, it's for you. And so I'm surrendering it. I'm redirecting the desires of my heart to you. When I think about this, I think of another great woman of faith. I was reading about her life this past week. A, a missionary from last century, a great woman of faith named Lillian Trasher. Uh, Lillian was born in the late 1800s, and she grew up in, in uh, Georgia and North Carolina. And from a very young age, in her teens, she felt called to ministry. She went to Bible college, and she served in different various roles. And 
She was even engaged to a young, really well-known, handsome preacher named Tom. And during the time of their engagement, she began to feel called to be a missionary to Africa. And Tom didn't feel the same way. And so through a lot of prayer, and I'm sure some heartache, 10 days before their wedding, she broke off their engagement. Not long after that, God opened a door for her to go to the nation of Egypt. And in those days, those were the days when missionaries got on a boat and, and they went to another country, not knowing if they'd ever come back. It was like a one-way ticket type deal, if you know what I mean. She went to Egypt and she stayed with some other missionaries. And after three months, she was called to the bedside of a dying woman to go pray with this dying woman who died in her presence. And this woman had a little girl and no one to take her little baby girl, her little malnourished baby girl, and Lillian couldn't bear to part with this child, so she took this child home. And it was in that moment that God began to show her why he called her to Egypt. That's when she began her orphanage, and she began taking children in. And within a few years, Lillian had 50 children and like eight widows. And she began to expand her ministry over the years. She would care for widows. She would care for, for lepers. She would care for the blind. And she spent 50 years, for 50 years, she poured out her life in service to the, to the underserved, to the forgotten people of Egypt. Now, here's a woman who gave up her dream. Here's a woman who gave up her dream to be married and have children. She never got married, never had children of her own. But by the time she died, 25,000 children had come under her care and called her Mama Lillian. She went down in history known as the Mother of the Nile made a great difference for the kingdom of God. And many of those children that she took in went on to preach the gospel all throughout Egypt. Here's the idea, church. Surrender takes our temporary dreams and goals and transforms them into lasting legacy with an internal impact. An eternal impact. Hannah moved forward in, in surrender. She gave her dream back to God because she trusted that God could do something greater with her dream than she ever could on her own. And it set her free to move forward in life. Now, let me give you the rest of the story. Hannah's blessing came as a result of her surrender, as a result of her, her sacrifice. Hannah's blessing was a legacy that far outlived her. She gave up her only son, Samuel, but Samuel would grow up to become one of the greatest prophets in the history of Israel. Samuel would be the one that God would use to establish the monarchy in Israel and to anoint kings. He anointed King Saul. He anointed King David. Samuel was the, the vital link between the, the time of the judges and the time of the kings. Without Samuel, there's no King David. Without King David, who leads the people of God in the Old Testament? Hannah isn't remembered for her many children, although God even blessed her with more children. Later on, we read that God gave her five children, three boys and two girls, no, Hannah is remembered for her, her character, for the grace of God bestowed upon her. She's not remembered because she lived up to the perfect ideals of what everyone thought about her. She's remembered because of her, her sacrifice and, and her surrender. And today, people name their daughters Hannah. It's a beautiful name. I've never met anyone who names their daughter Penina, but people name their daughters Hannah. Hannah would go down in history as a model Jewish woman the kind of woman that every little Jewish girl would want to be like. And of course, her story points to something greater. Hannah's story points to another woman in, in the history of the Bible who would be miraculously blessed with a son. Another woman who would be found with child, with a son, by the touch of God's hand, who would have to give her son away, share her son with the world. And of course, I'm talking about Mary. I'm sure Mary grew up 
reading this story and hearing about the life of, of Hannah, this great role model, this great woman of faith. And, and maybe, maybe even Hannah gave inspiration to Mary. In fact, scholars tell us something interesting. In chapter 2, we don't have time to read it today, Hannah bursts forth into this really inspirational song, this song called Hannah's Song. Well, fast forward to the New Testament, and what does Mary do when she receives the news she's going to give birth to the Savior? She bursts forth into the song known as the Magnifica. Scholars tell us that Mary's song is actually inspired by Hannah's song. Maybe Hannah gave Mary the inspiration that she could be the woman of God that God was calling her to be. She could be the woman of faith who could bear the responsibility to have this son given to her by God and to share him with the world. Hannah's son would anoint kings, but her story points to the one true king of Israel, Mary's son, Jesus Christ, the savior of the world, the one who lived a perfect life on your behalf, the one who came into this world and lived a life that you could never live and fulfilled and met every expectation that you could never live up to. Can I just help you today? Can I just set somebody free in this place today? You don't find fulfillment by living up to the expectations of our culture. If you're honest with yourself today, no matter what you believe today, we've all sold ourselves short by trying to live up to the expectations of what culture thinks about us, what other people think about us, what we what we want for ourselves, what we expect of ourselves. Now, you find fulfillment when you place your faith in the one who came and lived a perfect life on your behalf, who fulfilled every expectation so that you don't have to live up to any perfect expectation. Your loving Heavenly Father receives you by His grace. There's nothing you can do. There's no work you can do. There's nothing you can do to impress God. There's no, there's no expectations on His behalf you have to live up to because Jesus has already done it on your behalf. It says you place your faith in him and you follow him, that you find true fulfillment. And so maybe some of you in here today, you can identify with Hannah's story. Maybe today, you know what it's like to live with the brokenness of unmet expectations. Maybe it's the unmet expectations, people around you, culture around you, your peers, your coworkers, your, your parents. Maybe it's the unmet expectations that you've placed on yourself. That voice in you that says, man, I thought I'd be here. I thought I would have accomplished this. Maybe it's the hurt that we carry in our hearts toward God because he hasn't done everything we thought he would do because he hasn't answered that prayer yet. And today is a day to release it. Come on, I want to encourage you today. You don't have to stay stuck spiritually. You don't have to stay stuck mentally. You don't have to stay stuck emotionally, carrying around the baggage of the past, carrying around the, the burden that is the unmet expectations, carrying around the disappointment, wallowing in the pain. No, today we believe by faith like Hannah. You can stand up in prayer and say, I'm taking my life back in prayer, God. Enough is enough. I'm putting my foot down in the spirit today to go after everything you have for me, God. God, I'm going to trust you like never before. I'm tired of carrying around the weight of trying to be in control of everything. God, it's too heavy. It's too much. God, I, I release it to you, and I choose to trust you today that you are the loving Heavenly Father who's working on my behalf. And God, today I take my life and I surrender it to you. I surrender it to you. I surrender the dreams I have. I surrender my goals. God, I, I surrender my life to you. I recognize that everything you've given me isn't just for me. It's for you. And I want to be like a Hannah. I want to be like a Lily. And I want to give my life back to you so that you can use it to do something greater with it than I could ever do on my own. Come on, every one of us, we have our own thing. Every one of us has our own gift. Every one of us, God has entrusted something to us. And when you surrender it to him, there's a weight that lifts off of you. And you're able to say, God, my desires aren't just for me. It's not just about me anymore. But whatever happens, God, it's about you. 
and that'll set you free to move forward, amen? Hey, I wanna pray for you. Would you stand with me this morning? Why don't you stand with me? We're gonna bow our heads in a moment of prayer. If you're new to our church today, this is just a moment of self-reflection. There's nothing you have to do. You can just bow your head for a moment. This is a moment for us to pray and allow God to speak to our hearts today. And I wanna pray with you today. I wanna pray for you today. I'm believing for God to work in your life. I'm believing for breakthrough. I'm believing for you to move forward today. So that's our prayer. Would you pray with me? Maybe you wanna lift your hands. It's just a sign of surrender. Nobody's looking at you today. Maybe just to lift your hands and say, God, I'm surrendering my life to you. I'm letting go of the things that have weighed me down. I'm letting go of the voices. I'm letting go of the ridicule. I'm letting go of my my unmet expectations of, of the baggage and I'm trusting you today. Father, we come to you in trust today. God, we thank you that you're a good God who's working on our behalf. And Lord, today we stand up in prayer, God. Lord, Lord, today spiritually we put our foot down and we say enough is enough, God. We're not going to let the pain of the past define us anymore. We're not going to let the pain of unmet expectations define us anymore. But we're moving forward today in faith, God. Lord, today we're moving forward in in trust, God. We may not understand why you've done everything you've done or why you haven't done things that we thought you would do, but God, we choose to believe that you're good, that your mercy endures forever. You're a good God who's working on our behalf. And so we release today the things that we've tried to be in control of. We trust you. We walk by faith, not by sight today. And Lord, today we surrender our lives. We surrender our lives to you. We want to live for your glory God, we don't want to try to find fulfillment in living up to what our culture says we should be or can be. But Lord, today we place our faith in the sinless, perfect Son of God who came to this world to live a perfect life on our behalf, who met every expectation, gave his life for us. We thank you. And now, Lord, today I want to pray for all of our ladies all of our ladies today, moms in the house, wives, sisters, daughters, friends, so many times our ladies live with the weight of expectations. And I know maybe there's some moms in this place today who who feel like they can't always keep up or they can't make everyone happy. They can't always fulfill every expectation their husbands or their significant others or their children have for them today. I know so many times our ladies feel that way, but Lord, today I thank you that you see them, God, just like you saw Hannah just like you saw Lillian. Lord, today you see our ladies and you call them blessed. You see their worth. There's great dignity, great purpose, great value over their lives today. We honor them today. We bless them today. We thank God for them. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.